interesting thought to consider, challenging thought to reflect upon, sometimes a difficult thought to live. God is not mocked. In no shape, form, or fashion will God ever be mocked and there not be a consequence that goes along with it. The problem sometimes is that we would be more than happy to help God and make those decisions. Who is faithful? Who is not? Who has been given sufficient time to change and, in our opinion, has not and therefore needs to be dealt with? And we are reminded throughout the scriptures from the beginning to the end of God's word that God is more than capable of making his own decisions. And he has a plan that we do not fully see, and ours is to trust him. We see situations in life, and we're quick to want to draw a conclusion out of it. And then we're reminded, or at least I'm reminded in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will bring forth to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts and then each one's praise will come from God. Judge nothing before it's time. And I'm sure that there's been times in our lives when we have been grateful that we've had time to change our life, to make adjustments in our life, to rethink some attitudes and some thoughts and some actions and desire to do the things that indeed God would have us to do. The Reading would come out of the book of excuse me, the book of Galatians in chapter six, starting in verse seven. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows through the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. We will reap what we have sown. And there is that reminder that everything we do in life has a consequence. And we need again to be careful that we're not wanting to be the ones who would make the judgment. Jesus gave the parable of the weed and the tares growing together. And the disciples were more than willing to want to go in and to rip those tares out of the wheat. Jesus said, no, leave it alone. 
at the harvest time, that will be taken care of. Because you never know that when you are reaping or ripping the tares out of the wheat, that you may rip up some tender wheat and it be destroyed. Again, sometimes we want to be quick in drawing our conclusion and in passing a judgment and in passing a sentence upon that judgment. And we need to be careful. Judge nothing before it's time. God will take care of that in his own time. And again, what may be the weak wheat may need time to be nourished and then for it to grow and then for it to flourish and to bring forth the crop that God intends it to do. But we do have that consequence. Every deed we do bears a, bears a result. And we need to watch the life that we live. If you plant watermelons, you're going to grow watermelons. If you plant corn, you're going to reap corn. And so you're going to reap what you've sown. We're given the hope out of 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17 that when we become a Christian, we become what? A new creation. No longer the old, but a new life. And then we're going to bear fruit from that new life. But our life is is the sum total of how we live. And we need to be reminded of that at times within our lives. What you are today is based upon what you did yesterday. You're, you're reaping results as you live your lifetime, but day by day, and hour by hour. What you did yesterday has a bearing on what you're doing today. It has a bearing on the attitudes that you express and what you've learned from yesterday. And how you dealt with issues that arose then is going to have a bearing on what you think today. And guess what? What you do today is going to have a bearing on what happens tomorrow. We are reaping as we sow. We're given opportunities to adjust what we've done. We have opportunities that if we have done wrong, to be able to repent of those. But you see, there was already a cost involved in that, was there not? It cost the Son of God his life upon that cross. Well, if I do wrong, and I've heard individuals at times say, you know, teenagers when they were young, they said, I cannot wait for Friday night because I'm going to go out and I'm going to party all Friday night and Saturday, and then I will repent of that on Sunday. Hmm. That the life a Christian ought to live? This is from a Christian, or one who is supposed to be a Christian, raised in a Christian home. Well, I just take care of that later. But you see, that attitude already sows, sown in the mind will begin to bear its fruit. Why just Friday night? Why not some other nights of the week as well? You know, things get too bad Friday night and Saturday night, and, well, you know, Sunday comes around a little bit too early. You can do it later on and whatever else. We sow, and then we will reap as we have sown. That's why we're encouraged to think before we speak, to think before we act, as these consequences indeed can go through our life before we have an understanding of what's involved. 
Paul would remind us in 2 Corinthians and in chapter 5, then at verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We're going to give an answer. We're going to give an answer to, can I mock God? Can I know that there is a lifestyle that is expected of me as a child of God that is different than the lifestyle of the world, but I live in the world, so I have a desire at times to temper my spiritual life with my physical life and to give credence more to the physical than I do to the spiritual. But then I'll be okay because I still have the basic desire of wanting to please God. The scriptures tell us over and over again that is not going to work. Nor is going to say, well, I'll, I'll keep these commandments and then I'll, I'll do some other things. I'll keep the minute things, but I'll forget love, justice, and mercy. And these are important. Again, the love, the justice, and mercy comes in, into play at times when I want to be quick to judge you and what you did. I saw where, excuse me. I saw where you were Saturday night. I saw what you were doing Friday night. And from that I've drawn conclusions. And maybe I've drawn the wrong conclusion. And I need to rethink what I said or what I've done as a result of that. Sometimes we do not have all the facts before we make the statement or the conclusion that, you know, you shouldn't have done that. But we need to understand a lot more than what we may have access to. The fact is, <clears throat> we will answer to God. Ours is to encourage one another to walk in the light of God's Word. Ours is to encourage each other to support each other in our walk as a child of God so that we can strive to do those things that would be pleasing to God. What we are tomorrow will be due to what we've done today. Are we watering the plant, the, the wheat? Or are we allowing the tares to come up and to begin to choke out the wheat? Sometimes, sometimes we believe that we're a lot stronger than we may be. Sometimes we think we can handle things. in the most effective way, when in reality we may not. We, we know from the life that we live physically, we know, from, excuse me, we know from the life that we live spiritually, that it's a constant growth process. We're constantly learning, constantly adjusting, and constantly realizing what it is that is involved and what it is that God would want us to do. And how it is that he plants for what happens in life, it all has a tendency to work together. The more we do something, the more we'll be able to do it. And the more we know what we ought to do but do not do it, then we become less effective in that. It's a reaping process along the way, and we need to understand that. 
We're reminded in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, a little bit farther down in that 2 Corinthians letter. Do you not know? That if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All creation says you need to look out for number one. All creation says you need to do what would benefit you. You need to do that which would benefit your family and your friends and those that you have association with. Look out for number one. Make sure everything's taken care of, taken care of physically. But if we're in Christ, we are a new creation. The new creation says, if I love you, I'm willing to die for you. And how deep does that run into our lives? Love one another as Christ has loved you. Quite a statement. Easy to say. Hard to live. To really think about another. Well, I might be willing to do it for you if, if, if you would do a few other things before we got to that point. I have not read that anywhere in the scripture concerning Jesus' attitude towards us. If you know our place, let me know. Where Jesus would said, you know, Father, I'm willing to go down there, but, you know, let's get him to change a little bit before I have to go down there. Let's get him more inclined to want to be looking for me to receive me before I go down. No, he loved us while we were yet enemies. He gave his life for us when we hated him. He gave his life for us when we despised him. And when we forsook him. And he's patient with us. As he still loves us. As he's gone back to the Father. Sits on the throne with the Father. And makes intercession on our behalf. He's still working with us because of his love. That we would change. Gives us that time. Use your time wisely. Redeem the, the time. Because it is precious. Anything that we failed to do yesterday is gone. We can do things now. Anything we plan to do tomorrow may not be. I know none of you have ever had your schedule for tomorrow mapped out and then had it totally interrupted and changed in a way you least expected it. And you made the adjustment. God's in control. And ours is the desire to serve him. Paul would have to write to the Romans, or as he wrote to the Romans in the 12th chapter of that book. Again, he is writing, and I need to remind myself of that each time I read scripture. He is writing to children of God who have repented of their sins, been baptized for the remission of their sins, been raised to walk in a new life, who have given their life over to God. He's writing to these individuals, and he's reminding them here in verse chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. He's writing to brethren. 
by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I'm begging you on the mercies of God, you change your life. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to Christians who were living their lives on a daily basis as we're living our lives on a daily basis. But he's having to remind them of a, of a fact that they needed to be reminded of. You give your bodies as a living sacrifice. Old law. Every sacrifice that was offered under the old law was dead. They were killed and then offered as a sacrifice. The new law, your bodies is that living sacrifice. It's the life that you live. It's how you live day by day. You give your bodies as that living sacrifice that is acceptable to God. And you work with that one for a while. Being acceptable in the eyes of a perfect God with whom there is no variation or shifting shadows. You think about living an acceptable life in the eyes of the one who has no imperfections and no faults who is pure in everything that he does and right in everything, every decision he makes, you be acceptable in his sight. That changes how you live things. He sees you as a child. He works with you as a child. He knows your imperfections. Excuse me. He knows your imperfections. He knows your weaknesses. He works with you. Ours is to, again, to have that mindset to do what would be pleasing in his sight. That's your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. And that's what the world wants you to do. You know, it's important for you to do what you need to do to be acceptable, to, to be pleasing, to be able to provide in this world. And so we are encouraged to make allowances, to make exceptions as we live this life. But we are reminded, do not be conformed to the world. The world says you're number one. The world says you are number one and it's up to you to get what you can get while you're able to get it. Not what God says. He says you need to renew your mind. You need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need to change completely. And that's with the mind. That's where it starts. That's where it's going to end as well. You change completely. I want the mindset of God. Mindset of God is says... You're here, but for a vapor. And then there is eternity. The question is, where do you want to be in eternity? He's given us scriptures up and down, all of the scriptures, but the lessons that are there. Luke 12, he gives us the, the, the parable of the rich farmer. 
And as I read that parable at times again, it reminds me, that says, to me, it sounds like, that sounds like the American dream, does it not? I've worked, I've labored, I've achieved. My crops have done well. Uh, they're in abundance. I need to tear down my barns. I need to build bigger barns. I've got it made. I'm going to sit back and do what? I am going to relax and kick up my heels, and I'm going to enjoy the fruit of my labor. Isn't that not what Americans think? We strive, work those long hours so that we can have that final dream of just being able to enjoy life until you read the rest of it. You fool. Tonight your soul is required. And then whose will all these things be? But I live for this life and forget eternity. I've lost it all. It is of no value. Life tells you that. Everything that anyone else has done down through the years. We're living in a time frame, are we not? In which a lot of things that have had a lot of historical value are being devalued. And things that people have done are being challenged. And people are wanting to scrap their history their accomplishments or their service to God because of one statement they made 45, 50 years ago. Because he said that 50 years ago, he's no longer worthy to be honored. Now, 55, 60 years of service to God. Wow. Where are our priorities? So we change everything. We pull down everything. Every monument we have, we're wanting to destroy because somewhere down the line, somebody says something they ought not to have said. And that's going to change it all. So I'm simply saying, this life is going to vanish. Have we renewed our mind? That you may prove, that you may show by your life what is good and acceptable and perfect or complete will of God. And then don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. <laughs> you are just a servant. Jesus said in Luke 17 and verse 10, when you've done everything that's been asked of you to do, all that you can say is we're an unprofitable servant. We've only done that which is expected of us. When you've done everything that you are expected to do, when you've used every talent that you have been given and it's been multiplied, when every good yet you have achieved, when you reach the end of the road, you're just a servant of a living God and you've just done what was expected of you. The reward is there, yes, but you've done what was expected of you. That's what God wants us to do. You use what you have. If you've got one talent, you use it. If you've got two talents, you use them. If you've got five talents, you use them. If you've got the one talent, you're not being judged by the five-talent person. You're judged by the one talent that you have. Each one of us gives an account of ourselves to God, whether it be good or not. We're making choices that will affect the rest of our lives. Now, day by day, Hour by hour, our decisions, our attitudes, our mindset, 
We're making decisions that are going to affect our lives for the rest of our times. And the present can be a sign or it can be a warning about our future and where it will be. We're given two options in life. Either you sow to the flesh and reap from the flesh, or you sow to the Spirit and reap from the Spirit. He who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. And if you're thinking about just sowing sparingly, and therefore you, and you hear a lot, I've heard a lot of people down through the years make that expression, all, all I want to do is I just want to get into heaven by the skin of my teeth. I mean, I just want inside the gate. I don't need to mention, I just want inside the gate. I just want to do what is the bare necessity to get me inside the gate. Is that what God did for us? Ah, didn't even come close. He has blessed us while we were enemies of His. The world in which we live, how do you describe it? How do you comprehend it? What He's done in a created world that He's given to us, plus the, the blessings we enjoy this by living in this world. He who sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. Freely you receive, freely you ought to give. God has blessed us. And we need to understand that we sow to the Spirit or to the flesh, that's what we're going to reap. That's corruption. Doesn't does not matter how well we've done in the physical world, if that's what we're sowing for, we're just reaping corruption. There is no eternal reward for that. And ours is the soul to the spirit. Ours is to let again God dwell in our hearts abundantly. To grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter would tell those of his day, 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You can grow in that grace all you want to. Earlier, Paul had talked about the, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And he reminds us again that works of the flesh are going to bring about death, but the fruit of the Spirit, you can grow in those all that you want to grow. You can add into them abundantly. You will never, ever exhaust what God is willing to give. And how he will bless. And sometimes we need those reminders of the physical life, in the physical life, suffering here or there, to remind us how richly blessed we are. Again, just to think of how he works in our life. I mentioned before, I mentioned to the Bible class this morning that how God moves people around and how he blesses lives along the way. I mentioned Geneva Lenham that uh, she is from Hemet, California. 
That's where my mother and my sister lives. And she lived there at the same time my mother lived there. And we're going back, we're going back into the early 90s, 80s, late 80s. She worked in the nursing home that my mother was in. And we talked over that sometimes down through the, our years here, and more than likely she tended to my mother in that nursing home. And then how many years later do we do our paths cross again? I love how God works and the doing of his will. He moves us where he wants us. Again, I believe that's what uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18 is, seven, is, is saying. God has placed us in the body. Not just this body, but in this body. But he's placed us in the spiritual body where he wants us to be. Then it doesn't matter, does it, in the body, whether you're the little finger, the little toe, or the big toe, or whatever else it is, the arms or legs. Whatever it is, it takes the, all of the members of the physical body for the body to function. And are they not all functioning? The body is hindered to a degree, is it not? It can make the adjustments along the way, but it's still hindered. And the other members of the body will show compassion to the injured member as well. Spiritually, is that not so? How do I want to be blessed? richly as I can. Well, richly give then and share. Be the child that God wants us to be. And not grow weary in doing well, for we shall reap in due time if we do not faint. Don't grow weary in doing good. You get the, you get the life of Jesus for the example. His life is summed up. He went about doing good. And did he not do good? As we look this coming Wednesday night on the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. I mean, he is dying a cruel death for our sins. And he's doing good. Go and tell John, take care of my mother. He looked last Wednesday night, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Forgive them. Doing good. Giving them that opportunity. When he was being arrested, he said, I could call 12 legions of angels. They're at my disposal. And I've said, talked about that before. That's roughly around 72,000 angels. We read what one angel could do in the Old Testament. Slew 185,000 enemy soldiers. What could 72,000 angels do? And I said, but he did not need 72,000 angels, did he? He is the Son of God who created the world with that spoken word. He could have come down off that cross anytime. But he did good because he shed his blood for you and I. 
His desire is that we would follow in his example. Do good. Do it abundantly. Understand we will be blessed. It matters not how the world views us. What does matter is how God views us. And I do want to be of that number that does hear that well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Are those the words that you're going to hear in that final day? Or is there a need to make a change? Have you let some things creep in that ought not to be there? You need to remove them from your life and from your heart. You need to do that. Maybe you just need to do it privately, but you need to do that. Or as a child of God, if you need the help of your brothers and sisters in Christ, if we could assist you, if we could help you in any way, then indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.